Good evening. If you will, open your Bibles this evening to Philippians 2. Philippians 2. I, um, if you can accuse me of anything tonight, it will be for having too many texts. Uh, I have went over this message a couple of days now. I told Josh last night, I said, I think it will be two hours long. Uh, according to my notes, and he said, well, you're not preaching tomorrow night. And I said, well, I thought you asked me to. He said, no, if it's two hours, you're not preaching tomorrow night. (laughs) So, I've strived to condense it a little bit, but look with me at Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, let this mind, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of... Thank you for allowing us to come out tonight. Dear Lord, just thank you so much for your grace, your mercy. Dear Lord, help us as we... Go through these scriptures tonight that we'll get an understanding from it that we can apply to our lives, dear Lord. Dear Lord, help us to be servant-minded people in the world we live in. Just forgive us all our sins. In your name I pray. Amen. Have this mind in you is what verse 5 says. That, That phrase right there is where I want to begin tonight. Have this mind in you. The word mind there could literally mean attitude. Have this attitude about you. Uh, that that phrase there, if you take it in its very literal sense, it says, think like this, is what, what the original Greek points out. But think like this is what Paul is saying. If you remember, the uh, right here in this Scripture, the, Paul said Jesus had the attitude of a servant. He made Himself no reputation and became a servant. But also, uh, look at verse 8. It tells us how far Jesus went to show that servanthood. And being found in the fashion as a man, He humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Not only did Jesus demonstrate this complete obedience to the Father, this complete thought of being a servant, but He also taught on it. That's where I want to go back to tonight in text number 2. In Matthew chapter 20 is where we're going to read from. Matthew 20, uh, we we begin by seeing this parable in verse 1. And I'm going to take off reading it, or we will be here for two hours. For the kingdom of heaven is like unto a man that is a householder, which went out early in the morning to hire laborers into his vineyard. And when he had agreed with the laborers for a penny a day, he sent them into his vineyard. And he went out abroad the third hour and saw others standing idle in the marketplace and said unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right I will give you. And they went their way. Again, he went out about the sixth and ninth hour and did likewise. And about the eleventh hour he went out and found others standing idle, and saith unto them, Why stand ye here all the day idle? And say unto him, Because no man hath hired us. And he saith unto them, Go ye also into the vineyard, and whatsoever is right, that shall ye receive. 
So when they when even was come, the Lord of the vineyard saith unto the steward, Call the laborers and give them their hire, beginning from the last unto the first. And when they came, they were hired about the eleventh hour. They that were hired about the eleventh hour, they received every man a penny. But the first came, they supposed that they should have received more, and they likewise received every man a penny. And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour, and thou hast made them equal unto us, which have borne the burden and heat of the day. But he answered one of them and said, Friend, I do thee no wrong. Didst thou not agree with me for a penny? Take that, take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto, unto this last, even as unto thee. Is it not lawful for me to do what I will with mine own? Is this thine, is this, I'm sorry, is thine eye evil because I am good? So the last shall be first, and the first shall be last. For many be called, but few chosen. Jesus taught on this matter, and you're probably thinking, how how are we tying the servant-minded person into the parable of the laborers? And, and I promise it will all make sense. but And it may not at this moment, but let me get there. I love whenever, probably most of us in here that have been parents before have have seen this, uh, a lot of times when I give instructions, I'm often faced with disobedience that often leads to real practical lessons. Okay? And what I mean by that, for, let me demonstrate just a little bit. The other day, Ella was getting on a table. We've got a little table she sits at uh, a lot of times and colors on and stuff like that. She was sitting there and she started climbing on the table. And... Uh, I said, Ella, stop climbing on the table. She got down. Well, I turned around and I got busy again. I turned back around and in that moment she was falling off the table. And so my instruction immediately was faced with disobedience and then turned into a practical lesson. She didn't want to face that pain again, I guarantee you. The same thing happens right here in this passage. Okay? And that, that's where I want to take us tonight. I told you there was a lot of Scripture. We're, we're going to get there, but I want to read this last little part and see if you can tie it together, and then we'll go back and tie it together. Verse 20. We skip down just a few verses there. Then came to him the mother of Zebedee's children with her sons worshiping him and desiring a certain thing of him. And he said unto her, What will thou... She saith unto him, Grant that these my two sons may sit, the one on the right hand and the other on the left in the kingdom. But Jesus answered and said, You know not what ye ask. Are ye able to drink of the cup that I shall drink of, and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? They say unto him, We are able. And he saith unto them, Ye shall drink indeed of my cup, and be baptized with the same with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and to sit on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. And when the ten heard it, 
They were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto Him and said, Ye know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your ministers. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. You see, what Jesus had just taught on, the least should be the greatest was faced with disobedience. Immediately the disciples started arguing about who is the greatest. And a real practical lesson comes out of this. I want to tell you tonight, there's four attitudes that I want to cover tonight that are battling in our lives to keep us from being servant-minded people. And we see them in both the parable and the story of the sons of Zebedee. The first attitude is a self-absorbed attitude. In the parable in verse 11 and 12, uh, we, we see there, And when they had received it, they murmured against the good man of the house, saying, These last have wrought but one hour. Why aren't we getting paid more? We went all day. A self-absorbed attitude is, is about me. It's about I worked harder, I've done more, I, I've gone further. What do I deserve? But if you think about those statements I just said, it's I, 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 everything about me. And that's not a servant attitude. That's not being a servant when everything focuses around me or focuses around you. Then in the story of the sons of Zebedee, uh, first we see this mom, she's asking Jesus for this high position. Any mom wants her kids to do great things. You may think that's not really selfish to do great things. But let me put this into perspective for you. Imagine if I was a CEO of a Fortune 500 company and I made $350,000 a year because that's the average rate for that, uh, if you didn't know that. What does that make my mother? The mother of a man who makes $350,000 a year. Christmas is going to change a little bit, right? <laughs> or it should, alright? You see, there's benefits that come with that. And here we see this woman asking the king of kings to, for her sons to be able to sit on the right and the left hand of Jesus, one who has all authority, all riches. She wants that benefit. It's a very self-absorbed thought that, hey, I want my kids so that I have a part. Do you see that? If you look at the Gospel accounts, you see that not only did James and John, their mother, want this, but James and John wanted this themselves. Over in Mark 10, verse 35, uh, you see this account. Mark 10 and 35, it says, And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come unto him, saying, Master, we would that thou should do for us whatsoever we shall desire. And he said unto them, What would ye that I should do for you? They said unto him, Grant us that we may sit, one on the right hand and on the other, the left hand, 
in thy glory. This is something James and John, they, they themselves wanted. They wanted. I want. That's what self-absorbed people do. Is they think about their benefit, what they gain from it. Could you imagine how self-absorbed this conversation with Jesus must have been? Lord, give me a position. Lord, give me a spot. Instead of worshiping at the feet of the King of Kings, they wanted to stand in posture by Jesus Himself. When we strive to be greater people than what God has intended us for to be, we're self-absorbed too. He calls us to be servants, not selfish. The next thing I want to talk about is there's also this attitude of comparison that runs deep in our veins. And as flesh, it's very, very hard to overcome. In the parable, we see the comparison of this man who said, I've worked longer than them. I deserve more than them. I, I, I guarantee you, everybody in here can agree to this point, that's not always how it works. What I mean by that is, I've had people that work alongside of me, and I'm not going to name any names, but it takes three hours to change a light bulb. And I'm not going to pay that man any more than the man it takes 20 seconds to change the same light bulb. You know what I'm saying? So we can see automatically looking at this, I'm not saying that's what Jesus was trying to teach there, but automatically we see a flaw in this logic of comparing people. We see comparison in the attitudes of the disciples. What does it say there in verse 24? And when the ten heard it, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. Why were they moved with indignation, anger over the two disciples that asked this request from Jesus? Because they were mad. They wanted the position. You say, Trey, how do you know that? I'm going to give you two scriptures you can look at. Luke 9:46. They were arguing over who would be the greatest. Another scripture, Luke 22:23-24. If you remember, this is at the Lord's Supper. This is at the very end of Jesus' life, and they're still arguing who would be the greatest. You say, well, Trey, that's self-absorbed. No, that's comparison. They're looking to each other to see who would be better. I can just imagine their conversations. Peter reminds him that the position's basically his because Jesus gave him a special name. He looks around and, and then James and John hear that Peter says this and James and John says, well, you're not even a good fisherman. We used to outfish you all the time. And then he turns to Matthew. Matthew chimes in and says, hey, I've made the greatest life change. Remember when Jesus first found me, they ridiculed Jesus for eating with a sinner. And then Peter's brother, or Andrew, Peter's brother, sits up Tells Peter, you really want me to tell him about the time you did? Yeah, I didn't think so. Philip proclaims, I'll be the greatest because the first day of ministry, I brought my brother Nathaniel to meet Jesus. I'm not saying this conversation went on. I'm saying this sounds like a very 
unique conversation that many of us have had. We start comparing what we've done to, for Jesus. We start comparing what, what our lives look like in, in respective to others. But Jesus makes it very clear and actually gives us Scripture so that we won't go this far. Paul reminds us in Romans 3.23, we're all sinners. Isaiah 64.6, probably most of you could quote this, but we are all as an unclean thing. And all our righteousnesses are filthy rag, and we all do fade as a leaf, and our iniquities like wind have taken us away. We're all in the same boat. Sinners saved by grace. To be the servant that God wants us to be, we cannot... Be self-absorbed and we cannot fall into this attitude of comparing ourselves to others. The next attitude that we see is this of presumption. And, and, and this attitude of presumption is, I deserve more. I deserve more. In the parable we see this man murmuring over how he deserved more. He was there in the hot of the day. James and John, in, in this story of them and their mother coming to Jesus, they had some sort of reason why they thought they deserved a high seat. Maybe it was because they'd been following God the longest. If you think back to it, right before chapter 20, I think it's in verse eight, or chapter 18, I may be wrong, Peter, James, and John, got to see Jesus on the Mount of Transfiguration. Maybe it's because they, they felt like there was some benefit there, that they would be great people to Jesus. And don't get me wrong, they were great people for Jesus. But they had to get past these type of attitudes just like you and I need to. This is a scary place to be in life, to think uh, the grace of God is more sufficient for me over someone else. To think because of what I've done or said, God will favor me more. That's what presumption says. Look at the Scripture here in Matthew 20, verse 14. Take that thine is, and go thy way. I will give unto this last, even as unto thee. Verse 23 in, in the story of the two brothers. It's, Jesus says, You shall drink indeed of my cup and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with, but to sit on my right hand and on my left is not mine to give, but it shall be given to them for whom it is prepared of my Father. There's a similar word in those two verses, and that word is give. It's a gift. We can't, we can't go about our lives as if we deserve this and that because of the works we've created. We have to remember that blessings are a gift. We have to remember that, that God doesn't give us blessings because we deserve them. We don't deserve them. We don't deserve forgiveness, but God chose to, gave, to give it to us. We need to so desperately avoid the attitude of presumption and the thought of, I deserve because it's so far away from being a servant attitude. 
The last attitude I want to talk about tonight is distortion. Most of you know this word and taking something that is actually is and making it into something it's not. Distortion in this context is forgetting the entire kingdom of God is about grace. Look at verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give His life a ransom for many. Jesus hits it home with the disciples here in this moment, reminding them grace would bring their salvation. Not anything they could do for Jesus, but everything He could do for them. Jesus wants us to know the kingdom, and the kingdom living is about grace. The only way Jesus could walk to the cross with people spitting on Him in His face, the same people that He would die on that cross for, was grace. The only way Jesus could walk... Uh, any further that day was simply because of grace. Serving other people will take a lot of grace. When we humble ourselves as Jesus did and realize that the only way we can serve people is by showing them grace. If there's one thing I've learned in the ministry, people that you love will hurt you. But if you love them enough, you can show them grace. And you can keep serving, you can keep doing, and keep a servant-minded attitude about yourself if you're willing to show grace. Paul urges us in Philippians to have the attitude Christ had as a servant. It's going to take putting aside ourselves, putting aside our viewpoints towards others, And realizing we don't deserve a thing. And having the ability to show grace. We've got to conquer all those attitudes and all those different ways of thinking to show grace. One of the best quotes I got this week was this. True servants add value. They don't get perks. You say, Trey, what does that mean? What it means is this. I'm not serving Jesus Christ because I want all the perks. I'm serving Jesus Christ because He told me to be a servant and add to His kingdom. Guys, we have an open field here in Hamburg across the surrounding communities to serve people each and every day. We have the opportunity to add value and purpose and and all of these things that Christ brings to our life. We have that opportunity to give it to people each and every day. We have the opportunity to be servants, no matter the pay, for the Most High King. If you're here tonight and you've struggled with these attitudes because this hit home to me, I wouldn't share it with you if it didn't. We need to put down at these altars selfishness. We need to put down at these altars comparing ourselves to each other. We need to put down at these altars the thought that I deserve 
And we need to put down at these altars a false truth in our mind that Jesus was about anything else other than grace. As we get ready for a hymn of invitation, can you lay it at the altar tonight? Can you be the servant that, that God is calling you to be? I'm telling you, as I think about heaven, the splendor and the greatness of that is more than enough for me to ever want anything else. We need to serve 